I came to teach with passion ablaze to light a fire in every child's face, but now I'm just a shadow of my former self. Burned out, I'm ready to rebel. The hours are long, the pay is low, the work is never done. Oh no, the students are unruly, the parents are unkind, and most days our administration is blind. A poem on burned out teachers by Google Bard. Oh yeah. Jesse told me Google Bard was better than Google, Google Bard, like Google Shakespeare. I get it. That's really funny. Wait, Allie, you didn't tell me that poem was made by robots. How do they know? <laughs> Hi, I'm Allie. And I'm Annie. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to That's So Evolutionary, an education podcast where we explore what teachers, psychologists, anthropologists, and the latest thought leaders are saying about what we can and must do to transform learning environments so that every child has the opportunity to thrive in our world today. Annie and I each have over a decade of experience in classrooms and we are still teaching and testing out ways to make schools work better for children and for the adults who support them. Join Join us as we evaluate the evidence, dig through the debates, bury bad ideas, gush over good ones, and build a roadmap for all teachers, whether at home, school, or in the community, to show what is possible as we evolve our system of education together. together. Hey, Annie. Oh, hey, pal. We are uh, tackling a big topic this week. Yeah, what are we going to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listener, big surprise. I probably didn't read my notes because I'm burnt out. (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, that leads in perfectly because we are talking this week, Annie, about teacher sustainability. Uh, Just kidding, listener. I knew that's why I said that. (laughs) Well, and also, I didn't create much of an outline for this because I think this is one of those things that... uh, is pretty near and dear to yeah. our lived experience. We all have lots to say. <laughs> yes, and so I wanted, uh, there'll be some clips I have to guide us a little bit, but I also kind of wanted to just riff on this topic. I have many, many things to say. Yeah, so, um, I mean, where do we even want to begin, Annie? I, I don't know. I mean, I think we can all acknowledge that across the nation, this talk of burnout and the, uh, how do you say that, what's the opposite of sustainable? unsustainable unsustainable that this job has now really become unsustainable yeah people are leaving in droves and yeah. it's becoming i think the biggest problem in public education that maybe we've ever faced oh, well yeah. besides you know like institutional racism but if we don't start to really address this in a meaningful way and make some dramatic changes i'm not sure who's going to be left to do this totally job. and i i you know when i tune into the discourse on education and students not doing well, I feel like the conversation is constantly around um, teachers need to do more, teachers need to do this, and... uh, Or it's like, teachers aren't teaching with fidelity, it's this, and it's not actually looking again at what is the environment looking like that is supporting teachers? Yes, so thank you for bringing my thought back around. Mm -hmm. It's like we are focusing so much on how individuals are presenting and the deficiencies we're seeing based on an individual character or person level when everyone's on fire, and so we need to look at the environment. You know, like, instead of blaming the flowers, we should look at the soil (laughs) like that. (laughs) Like that. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. 
Okay, so listener. So this is the last episode in our series on the why behind play-based learning. So obviously we're going to bring around to how play-based learning can help us with teacher sustainability. Yep. Um, and I wanted to play a clip um, that I came across um, this last week. I actually think it's from a year ago, but we're going to not hold it against it. Um, and it's from ASCD, which is a pretty big curriculum organization. I think it stands for... Association for Supervision and Curriculum Development. Um, and Riveting. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I just fell asleep when I read that. But they did uh, an episode on teacher burnout last year. And I, what's your sense, Annie? Because I left the classroom this year, so I can't say. Has, has it stayed the same, gone down, or gone up since well, then? Well, personally, I had a much better year. However, collectively, we had four teachers that had to take six-week or longer mental health breaks. Yep. So I would say worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and the only reason it was better for me is because I just made some dramatic changes to my attitude in my classroom environment because I know I have the freedom to do that. Yeah. So. That makes so much yeah. sense. Okay. So I want to play this clip. And you're somebody who's been studying burnout since before the pandemic and ways to address it. So what are you seeing that's different this school year? Is it more pervasive? Is it manifesting in different ways? It definitely seems to be way more pervasive. I think it, everyone was kind of surprised with just the intensity of burnout around staff. I think a lot of people came into the most recent school year on the tail end, potentially, of the pandemic, thinking, like, we're going to get back to normal. It's going to be good. Mm -hmm. And then just the, the stress and the workload and just the shifting demographics and challenges that a lot of teachers were facing, um, I think, just really illuminated or highlighted some of the undercurrents that teachers were struggling with, with exhaustion and feeling cynicism and feeling a disconnect with their skill set. So it definitely seems to be much more intense and much more pervasive than previously. And those are key symptoms of burnout. So in your article, upcoming article on educational leadership, it'll be out this summer, you say that educator leaders in schools in general have tended to misunderstand burnout in the past by emphasizing character over context. What do you mean by that? I would also put myself in that category of so much of my experience was if someone's burning out, it's because they lack skills. They, they need more self-care. They need more strategies. And much of my work has been showing that research-based evidence that certain strategies and evidence-based practices can really help us with getting more of our stress resilience built up or developing more positive relationships. But that conversation misses the context that is really in increasing the burnout. So much of what goes into burnout has to do with the conditions of the work environment. And when we put all the pressure on teachers to solve it, um, it almost kind of creates this double pressure of they're burning out because of things often beyond their control or often happening to them. And now we're telling them, hey, you need to fix this. And so I think, unfortunately, myself and a lot of school leaders have fallen into this trap where we think we're doing something really supportive by giving people more self-care and more emphasis when really what they're craving is a shift in working conditions and opportunities. I have two things to say. Yes. Number one, he sounds really attractive. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, um, he touched on something that I, I've heard actually recently that I was like, oh, that makes sense. And it's this idea of, and whether this was a year ago or literally yesterday, everyone thinks that we're back to normal yeah. and we are not. And so when we think about, and we talked about this in a previous episode, when we think even about our youngest learners that are beginning to enter school, even this next school year, 2023, 24, 
they still were around in the pandemic and they were yeah. on screens or had different yeah. environmental issues that they wouldn't have had because of the pandemic. And so we cannot keep operating as though things are the same because they never really will be the same again. Yeah. Yeah. I think this next part really feeds into that. Um, Good. I'm glad I get to listen really to Mr. Hot so what again. what would you say are some of the leading contextual or systemic causes of burnout you're seeing this year? What are yeah. the things that are really wearing teachers down? The core research, and this is something that has been established for decades, is that burnout dimensions are threefold. There's the initial emotional exhaustion, so we can equate that to stress, where my workload is not lining up with my work resources. I either have more tasks than time to do them, or it's just hard to fit everything in my time or my ability. The second dimension is cynicism, which often starts as a depersonalization, and uh, cynicism is largely a defense mechanism. It is, I have lost trust, or I've had damaged relationships, or I haven't had this psychological contract fulfilled where you told me I wouldn't have this workload and now I have this extra workload. And then the third dimension is inefficacy, where I feel like my current ability or skill set can't reach the outcomes. And what I've noticed over the past couple of years is that these have been really pronounced, that so many teachers went through a learning curve of how do I shift instruction when I'm not used to doing things virtually or hybrid, or their inefficacy has hit that the student needs might be different than before, or socially and emotionally students are lagging just as much as academically so now I'm having to work extra hard and I don't have the ability or, or practice to do so and then the cynicism or depersonalization piece of what I thought education was isn't how it is currently or yeah I mean it's nail on the head and it's still more true than ever if not even more so yeah I think one of the big things he said I, I kind of zoned out for a second because I've listened to this podcast like three <laughs> times today picking out a clip but one of the things he said in this episode at some point is you know kids aren't needing the same things as they were before they're needing something more they're needing something different and I think that is where we're struggling is teachers are feeling like what they were doing before is ineffective to meet the needs that they're seeing now. Right. It's exactly the idea of normal. We're yeah. trying to do everything normal, but it's a new normal. Yeah. And we must be responsive. Yes. To that. And so where we're going to pivot now is obviously to play-based learning. And I think it gives us this incredible opportunity because we're not actually changing the content of what kids are learning. We're still hitting all the standards, all those things. We're doing it in a different way that brings those elements of empowerment and brings the ability for teachers to hold space to be more responsive and differentiate better. Well, and guess and what? That's going to take a load off of teachers' plates. It, yes, it absolutely does. I mean, play-based learning, I think one of the big misconceptions, well, it's not a misconception because it can be very labor-intensive if you're constantly like building your play-based learning plan on the fly. But if you have a vision and you do the preparation up front, then it becomes just a matter of these materials are already in the environment. Now it is my job to observe students and help them access the environment and move along. Right. It's literally becoming a curator of a very intentionally designed space. Absolutely. And it puts, so it puts the energy, like right now I feel like there's so much energy required of the teacher to make up for all this learning loss, you know, and that's, that's kind of culturally what we have we've decided it is on the teacher to do that. But when we do play-based learning, we put so much more of that on the students and then it 
it really is an energy release for the teacher. So Allie, when we go back, just because we need to keep putting the idea of what yep. play-based learning really is, because yes. again, if somebody listens right now, they're going to think we mean like poor Legos on the floor all day. And that's not <laughs> what we mean. But it's about autonomy, mastery. Yep. And uh, purpose or or essentially getting work at your level. <laughs> Guys, do you like that? I, I literally forgot the most important Well, one. <laughs> so those are technically the uh, conditions for intrinsic motivation, which basically are what are created when you have this very play-based environment where um, students are making choices about what they do, how they do it, and when they stop doing it. And let me just say... This is all within a carefully structured environment where, and it is one component of, you know, your whole day of right. things. Obviously, if you have a read aloud and a writing activity kids are going to do, that's something you do whole group because it's a shared experience. Everyone participates and then, you you know, whatever. There's, it's not the only thing, but it, it gives you that space if you have it, like, at, at the beginning of your day for academic choices, kids come in. If you have it during your literacy time while you're pulling small groups, if you have it during your math time, either while you're pulling small groups or when students have finished their work, if you have it throughout the day, you are giving students those doses of empowerment throughout the day that then impact their mental health. They give every single person downtime, which I was just thinking through an episode writing on downtime because that is literally critical for our brains to absorb and internalize information. And when you look at the school day, there is no downtime for kids. Because it's just like interior design. If you don't have, and there's a very specific percentage of like blank space that you need for your oh. eye to rest, you can't actually appreciate whatever the incredible design is. This is fact, right? I'm just like, <laughs> your analogy is so brilliant, Annie. Thank you. I cannot, I no longer have the crown of the analogy queen. I did my own all by myself. I'm proud. But it's the same idea, right? So if your brain doesn't have that space to just pause, then you're not at your best self for kids, right? A hundred percent. So if we're thinking about what we're talking about right now in the lens of play-based learning supporting sustainability, let's get back. So how does this take things off teacher's plates? Let's get specific. Yeah. So this takes things off teacher's plates because... The way we advocate for play-based learning, which if you go to episode two of the series, it will break it down a lot more, but you're basing the things in the environment off of a trajectory of knowledge and skills that students access in a mastery-based way versus a, this is the target for the day sort of thing. And so it lends itself to certain areas and maybe not others, but there is a standard progression, students access, you have those things built into, or you have essentially the activities that represent those standards in the environment and you in small groups introduce them to students and then when students are not with you they have sort of like a learning plan that guides them through what are the skills I'm working on so that I can do this and there's a very structured way that you have to roll it out so that all these things work together and just to really hit this home for all of you listening that are teachers you have done some sort of you know center for literacy centers for math workplaces but what we're saying is even more intentionally creating choices within the choice that specifically target students needs right yeah, absolutely and, and so when you when you follow us on all the things that you do you'll really see this laid out for you but it really is designed that like Allie gets her exact needs met based on the systems I have created within centers or things that are more traditional. Totally. And okay. in a kindergarten, first grade classroom, it's easy to make sure you're hitting grade level standards. If you have maybe a second grade classroom where you have a lot of kids that are maybe not on grade level, which was a big thing during the pandemic, sure. probably still is, 
you can have this as a supplemental structure so that you're still maybe doing your daily lesson based on the curriculum, but maybe it's abbreviated and you have a lot more time where students, you know, do something based on the lesson of the day. And then they go into these centers where it is so choice-based and so responsive to what they particularly need. And um, when they have the tools to guide them through the next steps of how they grow and progress, it's amazing how fast it can well, and listener, learning. what happens is it's this isn't just for literacy or math. We have done this with fine motor skills. We have done this yeah. with pre-writing skills. Like I had an entire like trajectory of supports for students that were learning how to draw people and add details to faces, which, you know, if you teach literacy, that is one of the very beginning writing skills yeah. you need, right? So you can get your idea on paper. We had this with SEL needs and like these storytelling games and emotion games. So the options that you can do are endless, but what ends up happening is student ownership over their choices they're making based on what they need, right? And the reason that this takes things off of your plate is because once the students have internalized the systems and the things yes. that are there, they are able to make the choice, which means you really can stand back and observe. And again, why you say this takes things on your place, let's just bring up the idea of subplans. You, you need to take a day off, listener? I mean, that's a huge one for teacher sustainability. Nobody feels like they can leave. There were times that I was just like basically drooling I felt so bad and still went to school because it was easier than, yeah, than making subplans and God forbid making meaningful subplans right yeah. so now paint this picture because this happened Allie and I were lucky enough to be co-teachers for a while and Allie had designed an incredible math program I mean kids... let's be real it was in its early stages so it was not quite incredible yet well I mean it was incredible when I was there yeah. um <laughs> Because I knew that they knew exactly what they were yep. doing. And so I literally played dumb and I kind of was of like, what happens? I pressed, you know, the play slide of their transition. They went up and they set up the, the entire room. It was silent. It was beautiful. It was magical. Kids got to work. They knew how to clean up. So Allie had put intensive work in, but because of the system she had created and the student ownership and autonomy I literally sat in my rocking chair and I recorded it. And somewhere, listener, I will find it and we can post it. Oh my gosh. Because I sent it to Allie and I was like, holy shit. I then created the same system with literacy. And again, I've been doing literacy centers for years, but not as much of the ownership, you know, and the, and the student guidance for it. The same thing can be true. I literally, yeah. my sub plans, it's like press play on this one song yeah. and the entire, and if you don't have the song, you can sing it. Yes. You know? And it, it's... The amount, like my sub plans, I was able to copy and paste, and I went out of town a lot this year, guys. It was fine. Yeah. Well, and I just I think about it for like those moments where, you know, something happens. Maybe there's a big student issue that you need to focus on, and you're like, I was supposed to teach this lesson. Oh, I can play this song. Let kids go, and they will continue to learn and teach themselves and each other while I can handle this thing. Yep. And that is going to make me end my day on a calmer place. I'm not going to get to the point, hopefully, where I'm like triggered because I don't know how I can possibly meet everyone's needs. Yep. Um, so. And that's just one area. Like, we yeah. know that lesson plans suck. And so this is something that was like, holy shit, this is pretty magical yeah. and could be supportive to so many people. What else? Absolutely. Well, I think, uh, you know, that both of those really capture the heart of... Yeah. I just thought of something else. Yes. When <laughs> we're thinking about sustainability and um, choice and all of these things and burnout, right? One of the reasons that the person you played 
talked about burnout and also Jane Shirley, one of our favorites have said when that happens, it's often because of the lack of skill capacity or time. Yes. And so when we're thinking about capacity, right, as you're creating play-based structures that really help you see the scope and sequence of the standards at the same time, you're building a deeper understanding of what kids need, which then in turn make your job easier, right? It's not about internalizing a curriculum. It's about internalizing behaviors and how students grow as readers, writers, and mathematicians. And then you become an expert along with them. Absolutely. And we talked listener about, um, this big resource hub that we're going to be launching in July And one aspect of kind of a framework we've been developing is this play-based learning. And so we will have a lot more for you there on how this could work. Yeah, because I imagine even listening, it's like, great, that all sounds great. What the hell does that actually mean and look like? (laughs) And that is literally what we Uh will be spending the summer doing so that you have very concrete, actionable how steps of this roadmap that leads to play and supports kids. And also, most importantly in this episode, yourself. Yes, because (laughs) you have to put on your oxygen mask first. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this business that we call human. Is that what you said last (laughs) time? I like that so much. (laughs) Probably. It was from last week. It sounds very esoteric, like I would say. the business of humans. I liked it. Mm -hmm. Because you, listener, Mm -hmm. are a human. Yes. And we love you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think this is a good place to wrap up our why annie i think so too i can't wait for the how i know (laughs) listeners we will see you when we see you it's probably going to be mid-july i love it and by now they're like they will be back when they're back they're with a squirrel that they're harnessing (laughs) (laughs) supposedly just kidding we are just kidding well this is Allie, and this is annie and you've been listening to that's so evolutionary 